This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aura Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and I'm, among other things, the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. And my esteemed producer tonight is Anthony Dockrell. Coming up, trust me, we have a special edition of Fourth Estate as we explore the media and how we can build trust. The reason for this special, looking at trust, is because the Centre for Media Transition is about to release a new report called Trust and New News Media in Australia. But we're not here to talk about me. You'll be gratefully relieved to hear. (laughs) Uh, We're here to talk about us. The Senders report comes as a new survey reveals the extent of the trust crisis across all institutions, including all levels of government and most parts of the news media. It's a plague. Work by the Museum of Australian Democracy and the University of Canberra shows that 42% of Australians distrust web-only news media, which is even worse than the banks, and 41% print 28% distrust the TV and 21% distrust radio. Hurrah for radio. But before we all get excited in Radioland, the survey also asked who or what do you actively trust? And radio came in at 38%, TV at 32%, print at 29%, and web at a lowly 20%. So in the middle of those two numbers, there is a big dollop of people who neither trust or distrust the media, and some of them who don't really care much. And I reckon apathy is a close cousin of distrust. Mm -hmm. Tonight, we ask why does the media have a trust problem and how can we, as individuals and groups, go about fixing it? Is it also a question of media literacy, of helping people understand what is real and what is fake? And is it all the fault of those tech giants like Facebook? And that and many other questions. And to help us through all those questions, we have a wonderful panel joined in the studio by Andrew Hunter, who is responsible for news partnerships at the aforementioned Facebook. His job is to build bridges between Facebook and media outlets. And interestingly, in another life, Andrew co-wrote an excellent book called All Your Friends Like This, How Social Networks Took Over the News. Good evening, Andrew. 
Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a great pleasure. We also have Sasha Molitoritz, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the aforementioned Center for Media Transition and a key author of the report on trust and a long-standing uh, Sydney Morning Herald reporter, blogger, editor, reviewer, and features writer. Hello, Sasha. Hey, Peter. And finally, joining us on the line from the Blue Mountains, we have Saffron Howden, the co-founder of the sadly now defunct Crinkling News, which brought the news to literally thousands of kids across the country until it ran out of money earlier this year. Hola, Saffron. What an introduction. Hi, Peter. Was it right? <laughs> Will you fact well, check true. me? It's no, no longer publishing. There's definitely more than thousands of kids. Shall we say uh, millions? Yes. Shall we say millions? <laughs> I think we can very safely say tens of thousands, if not more, yeah. Okay, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to Crinkling, and it's wonderful what you did and its legacy, I think, uh, in a minute. So let's start off with how much do you trust the news? Do you get your news from several sources, or do you mainly rely on social media? Do you normally believe the news when you see it on Twitter and Facebook? And more importantly, do you share news with your friends? If so, do you check it first? With the news now available to us wherever, whenever we want it, it would seem that trust in the news has never been more important. So let's start with you, Sasha, and the new Trust and News Media Australia report. What did you find and what surprised you? Well, um, first of all, trust is such a, a great issue to explore. Um, we found that from the start. We spent a few months on this, of course. Um, the first stage was we had a researcher, Elaine McEwen, look into trust look into all the academic, non-academic literature and do an annotated bibliography. So that's now published and it's a great resource for academics, but also for non-academics. And it's there at the Centre for Media Transition website. The second part of, of what we wanted to do was then really dig into Australians and how they trust news media. And I guess the ultimate question is how can we restore or how can they restore trust in news media? The assumption there is that news media is important, that journalism and news uh, is important, that it's it's vital in a democracy. Uh, and, and we were pleased to find as we held workshops, um, the, the research that we did involved, I should say, involved four workshops, two in Tamworth, mm -hmm. two in Sydney, uh, qualitative, qualitative, hard word to say, workshops where we uh, had eight or nine people um, talking through these issues. So they weren't large-scale surveys, they were more focused, trying to get opinions and ideas and responses. Um, and so we were seeing uh, what people wanted in their news media and so how we might rebuild trust. And thankfully, people did share this belief in the importance of news media. It's just that they thought the news media, as it works now, is letting them down. So did you start off with the idea that the, that all was wrong in the news media? Uh, you know, that we started off on this level that their trust is a problem. Well, we started off on the back of the bibliography um, that with this idea that trust levels have fallen across society for decades now. For the past 50 years or so, there's been this dramatic fall uh, in trust levels in all sorts of institutions. So government, uh, uh, the media as well, banks, um, you know, this is a, a whole bunch of institutions um, people no longer trust. So with news media, in the 70s in the US, the figure was somewhere around more than two-thirds of people uh, trusted news media. By um, uh, recently, the figure had dropped to about 32%, so less than a third. That's a dramatic just drop in the number of people who trust news media. So what's, what media. do you think has been going on? Saffron, we'll bring you in here. What do you think has been going on in terms of trust? Well, look, I think, I think it's a terribly 
confusing time for everybody. Um, and it's not just the established news media, as you pointed out, but there's a testing of our political systems and parties, of democracy even, of facts, of so many of these established power bases. And I think one of the things that underpins this is a real longing for community and a disconnect, a disconnection from the communities that we used to have. Um, and I think it's interesting to see in your report that um, quite a lot of people get their news from other people, from work colleagues yeah, or at yeah. home. And the 2017 media literacy research that Crinkling News did with WSU and QUT found the same thing about kids and young people. Um, and it was these, these people that they trusted, it was their family and their teachers that they trusted. So we had 23% of 8 to 16-year-olds in Australia trusted news organisations a lot, whereas 58 news from news organisations a lot, whereas 58% trusted news from their family. So it's, think, so it's a breakdown in the way we get news, and we now have these incredibly uh, wonderful tools, social media tools that enable us to share news and create friendship groups at random, right? Well, I think I think what happened is the news media over the 20th century did get really, really, really big, um, and it thrived commercially on having the largest possible audience. The bigger the readership, the bigger the or the viewing or listening public, the bigger the ad dollars. And in the process, journalism became increasingly removed from its audience, from its community. Mm. Um, people now feel underrepresented in the media. They feel disempowered. Um, we're asking them to trust someone they don't know doing a job they don't really understand who doesn't really reflect their community. And that's really hard for people. Yeah, okay. No, that's good. I'd like to bring Andrew uh, in here, and here. You work for Facebook, Andrew. Uh, Facebook, among others, gets uh, gets in the neck for a lot, for a lot of things, for a host of the world's ills. But uh, let's focus on trust as we are. How do you see Facebook's role in in building these communities, and if you like, if you like, repairing this trust question? I think with uh, with Facebook that we see ourselves as very much in the distribution part of the ecosystem, and so it's our responsibility to ensure that the uh, authenticity and the quality of the content that is on Facebook meets our community standards. Uh, and so that's the first uh, step mm-hmm. that we need to um, that, that we need to take. And so and that that is uh, that is something that we do continue to do and continue to focus resources on is making sure that the content on Facebook is authentic um, and that news on Facebook in particular, uh, is credible, trustworthy, uh, and informative. And so there's a whole lot of work that we're doing around that. Uh, there's been a whole lot of investment uh, that, the, that the company has made in both things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, as well as human beings uh, to, to uh, review the content on the platform. And then the second... Just on that point, you can never do enough, right? Well, it's... Well, can it, you ever do enough? No, it... It, it is an ongoing program of work that we need to continue to focus a whole lot of resources on. It's it, it's what at this stage I would call a, an, an ongoing battle, a work in progress. Absolutely, you, and you, it's not it's not something that is going to be uh, solved straight away, um, and it will require a uh, a continued investment. We're going to come back to Facebook 
uh, in a second, and I, I will acknowledge, by the way, that, I, that the, the report that we're talking about was funded by the APAC News Literacy, Pro, Literacy Project, which is funded in turn by Facebook. Um, but I should also say the centre is very much an independent entity, but I, I should acknowledge uh, that the report uh, received funding from, from Facebook. Let's bring you back in, uh, Sasha, because one of the things that the report explores, which actually goes to the whole role of social media, is whether people want the news to be their friends. The people who provide the news to be their to be their friends. I'm putting hooks around that, but exactly. No, that that was. You asked before about what was most surprising. That was probably the single most surprising finding. Um, Saffron mentioned this idea about. Um, journalists and their audiences and, and maybe journalism and news media got too big. I think journalism is really about the audience. Um, you know, the public is the God term of journalism is a famous quote from James Carey. Um, and I, I just think that's something that has shifted now that we have um, an environment where platforms like Facebook are there as distributors of content. Um, the landscape has become much more fragmented and hard to pin down. So for a, for a consumer of news now, they come. One thing that we found is that they came to the news in so many different ways. Many mm. of them came to it through social media, others through search, many through their devices. Some still use television in the very traditional way of the nightly news. But we were just staggered, but at the same time not, with the array of ways that people got there. And one of the things we did find was this this idea that people did not want their news to be like a friend, which was a bit surprising. It was surprising because, you know, so much of us, so many of us receive news via the social mm. and social is about family and friends. So did that surprise you, Andrew? Um, I don't think it surprised me. Uh, I was very happy with that finding. Really? I, yeah. You yeah. don't want to be my friend. I thought you did. <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily want news media to be my friend. I want it to be authoritative. Um, and I think, you know, this obviously comes through in your report as well. I think if you look at what is happening uh, in the States with um, the New York Times and the Washington Post, very authoritative um, news organisations who have a history of investigative journalism and holding power to account are absolutely flourishing in the current environment. I think you come back and look at Australia and you can see um, that the big Australian mastheads are also uh, doing very well uh, right now. And, um, and uh, not very well. Well, mm. they, they, they are building. Uh, they're building a subscription. They're base. building good, strong subscription businesses where they are being funded directly by their audience, mm -hmm. uh, who are going, who are going long to their, over time. You'd argue who right? are going mm. to their pockets and um, and and paying for subscriptions. Mm. Um, they're certainly and, doing very well in terms of numbers. You know, just by sheer um, number of readers, yeah. uh, an outlet like the Sydney Morning Herald. Oh yeah, but that's always, that's 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 not a problem. If you give it away for free, you get right. a, you'll get a lot of friends if you give something <laughs> away for free. But, but I think, just I think the point. key the key yeah. is that um, I think uh, consumers are voting with their feet in terms of um, looking for and wanting authoritative sources uh, of of uh, of news, um, and of course. Um, you can access these authoritative sources via social media as well. Uh, and the job, the, the, the job of the, the other job of Facebook in all of this, so it's also, you know, it's about keeping the authenticity of the content on the platform intact um, and, um, you know, and good and, and high quality. The other thing that's incumbent upon Facebook here is that we work with publishers uh, on elevating 
um, good, credible journalism as well and working with, collaborating with these publishers to create products that allow them to connect with audiences in the new ways that audiences are using a platform like Facebook to access their yep. their, their news. Okay. No, that's a, indeed, and doing some great things, it must be said. Uh, Saffron, though, to bring you back in here, is it a problem, going back to this finding about uh, the news audiences don't necessarily want the news to be their friend or the news media want to be their friend, do you think it's confusing when a lot of people receive their news via social where their friends' photos might be sitting next to news stories, as it were, that there's a kind of blurry line here and that people uh, might easily be confused. And going to your work on media literacy, do you think young people in particular or, you know, new adults in the making are, are, are better at this than you think they get this? Or does it really, am I making a very old and rather boring old man sort of distinction here? quite possible um that was a long question it was a long question the beginning of it right i beg your pardon (laughs) well let let, let me break it down for you the first part was is it a problem people receive the news inside their social when they're getting pictures of their friends at the same time as they're getting the latest news well look obviously i think that um I, i think one of the big shifts um in the audience for any kind of information is that um uh, and I, I don't think this rules out that that idea of you know potentially people don't want to be friends with you know news media organisations, but I don't think people accept being sort of distant, passive consumers anymore. Um, they don't want to be told, and I'm including going beyond the news media with this, and you know I'm talking about the sort of general disaffection with major mm. political parties in the political system. They don't want to be told by someone far away from them this is the way it is. Um, they want to see it and feel it and experience it, and they want to be part of getting back to that community idea where their voices are relevant too. Um, and I think they expect people with the expertise to do their jobs properly, but they're looking for meaning and belonging that news organisations are not giving them. And then social media platforms often give people, I think, a somewhat false sense that they can get a voice and be a part of what's going on. And, and platforms like Facebook are now grappling with how that system can be manipulated to elevate dangerous or unscrupulous voices in, in some cases. Well, that's true. I mean, you, t- you said something there which really did touch on the initial question, which is, where did the news media go wrong? I mean, did, I think did, there did, are so just, many answers. Well, but I mean, are you saying basically it took the news media for a long time took its media uh, took its audiences for granted? Look, I, I, I think it was partly a commercial thing that people realised was, you know, didn't realise was happening while it was happening. And it's a sort of, you know, the rivers of gold time dating back to that in the 70s and 80s and 90s, yeah. um, you know, where advertising was flourishing and the, you got more advertising dollars, the more people you could reach. The publishers and broadcasters owned the platforms and so no one else could compete with that. And then it, it removed all the, the media organisations and the journalists into their offices and away from their communities. Mm. And journalists hung out with other journalists. Some journalists became celebrities. People, I remember when I studied journalism at UTS, I was surrounded by students who w- wanted to get into journalism because they ultimately wanted to be famous. Really? And journalism, yes. Yeah, it really worked for all of us, really, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got your own podcast now, Peter. So. Well, this, I'm famous, that's right. Famous in my own um, lunchbox. Yeah, keep going. But but I think one of, one of the lessons that I certainly um, learned 
through Crinkling News, and I've, I've worked as a journalist for almost 20 years before I, before I started Crinkling News, a newspaper for young people, mm. is that, um, is that it, it was about creating um, a vibrant, safe national community of kids um, to give them factual information and a safe place to explore those ideas, current affairs and quality journalism. Now, the journalism itself was authoritative. It was written by professional journalists, mm. um, and it was fact-checked, it was sub-edited, it, it abided by all the normal ethics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of traditional journalism. But we, we, it was also a community. We also had a website, news videos, social media accounts, emails, letters and events. We had an op-ed section written by kids. We had junior editor and junior reporter programs, news literacy workshops in schools and writers festivals. Okay, so yeah, your point being is that you created community with this content, with this news content, and and then you were able to, so the people were able to trust you, right? Your audiences really trusted you. We did have an extraordinarily high level of trust mm. um, from from our readers, kids, um, but also from the people buying the subscriptions and helping the kids use the content from teachers, from parents, from grandparents, um, very unusually for a modern media organisation, very a small one at that. Okay, well, mm-hmm. right, we're going to move on to the another finding in the report, which is around this the need of news consumers or desire to have their news media to be more transparent. I'm going to start with you again, Sash. What is this all about, this transparency like? I mean, what's, what's, you know, aren't we transparent? Yeah. Well, or not? I think I'll answer, if I can, I'll answer that by responding to Saffron there too. I think she hit, hit the nail on the head there with, um, well, what they did with Crinkling, of course, it was, it was a great success with its audience. Um, and I think what is becoming more obvious is it is all about the relationship and, and trust is part of, a part of that. So we just, that connection between journalists and and readers, that relationship is absolutely the key. So social media and and search engines and digital platforms play a really important role. But the the challenge, as we've talked about, is is how does how do news producers monetize their content? Now now what we found in the report, as you say, in part was that people really wanted transparency. They wanted a degree of of okay, how did this story come about? Who did you interview? Um, why didn't you cover this story? So it's some sort of transparency about the whole news making and gathering process. Mm. And that was one of the ingredients. So what we found from people generally was they wanted a whole bunch of traditional journalistic ingredients, you know, stuff you traditionally think of when you think of journalist values, like accuracy, objectivity, in the public interest. Um, but they also wanted some other, and transparency is there too, but they wanted some others as well that were a bit more um, uh, changeable and a bit new, like interactivity, um, diversity, um, and a few other factors like that. Then at the other extreme, the things they didn't want were be like a friend um, and be less voice of God was another option we gave them. So they, they wanted a, a mix of things, mostly traditional journalistic values, but a few other characteristics that were a bit more... Um, what people are now used to for, in a social media age. Okay, Andrew, that's a tricky word, transparency, right? I mean, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, it means different things to journalists. I, I'm sure it means different things to Facebook. Transparency has been a hot word for you guys this year. What do you? Uh, so how do you look at transparency? I mean, people say to Facebook all the time, hey, be more transparent and tell us what's in your black box. Clearly that ain't going to happen. <laughs> but uh, be more transparent and tell us when you're going to make changes to the algorithm. Maybe that might happen. How do you, uh, how do you manage expectations about transparency? Well, 
I think b- b- <laughs> before before I answer that, um, I think that the need and the desire for transparency on the part of consumers is really really interesting, and I think a lot there are a lot of um, news organisations news organisations who are responding to that um, in really great ways, where mm-hmm. they you, will you say got some examples. Well, um, I, I think it's particularly a trend in the US. Um, where you will see uh, a whole lot of um, disclaimers and disclosures at the bottom of the mm. story saying how the story has changed over the past mm-hmm. couple of hours as um, as the uh, the author or the journalist has got more information mm. um, and I think that's you know that's a that's obviously a great start I think um, there are a number of news organizations who provide a lot of information about their journalists talk about um, what they have done what they've studied what are the stories that they've um, pursued and written before, which I think is all really helpful for context as well. And that's kind of the way we think about it as well. Um, And so one of the things that I announced um, today um, at at the Mumbrella uh, published conference that I was at Mm. was that um, we were going to be launching uh, a context button around uh, posts, news posts on Facebook, which show information to uh, the Facebook user about... Uh, to, to, to give them information as to the credibility of the piece of content itself and the source of, of that story. And so there are a few things that we've done there. One is we've added the uh, information about, about the publisher. Mm-hmm. We've added related articles around that story as well so that people can see other takes mm-hmm. on the same topic, uh, as well as information showing or, or graphics showing who in your network has shared that story and where people geographically are around Australia in this case uh, have have shared the story. And as is well. that up and running now? I haven't actually. It it is. It, it is, is up. And up running. It is up and running well, now. Well and done. so we're we're, so we're, it's great. we're doing that um, in New Zealand as well. Oh, um, we don't care about them. So, <clears throat> well, I do. Well, that's nice that you care about them. Deeply. It's good that someone in this room cares about the New Zealand. Um, I love New Zealand. Oh, here we go. Clearly, <laughs> it's a Kiwi um, fest. And, All right, go on and. Um, you know, I think that's an example of how Facebook, as part of the distribution part of the ecosystem, uh, can give uh, credibility indicators to the um, to the people on Facebook, and to an extent, help with media literacy, mm. um, and mm. and 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 do a, a small bit there, right on the spot, to educate the user about that piece of content. Yeah, and then I think it's, I, a, it's a great. How do you see? How would that work? You, basically, you go on a piece, and there's a button that says, "If you want to know more, you yeah. want some con, you know context." Yes, so there, 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 there is like an information button. There are related links. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's basically the the way it works. It's a little uh, discrete um, component around a post in in mm. Facebook newsfeed, and I think you know that's educating on the spot. I think what Saffron's done with Crinkling News is fantastic because you're educating the next generation of news consumers, and there's a ton of supply of news uh, right now. Um, and a continually massive supply of news. And so I think working on the demand side of that equation and making sure that we have um, really well-educated consumers coming down the pipeline from the schools is is a great thing. And I had it with Behind the News, um, and I'm glad that at least for a little while there were some kids that had it with Crinkling News And they may have it again. You never know. You know, someone might have been listening to this, uh, this podcast, this radio show. They might turn up on your doorstep tomorrow with a very large check. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope something like that 
um, you know. Comes again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for my kids' sake too. Yeah, okay. So uh, you didn't answer the question about Facebook's own transparency. Maybe that's going to be another show. I, Although, I told you about what, the context you know, that's true, uh, but feature that we added. That's true. That's a wonderful thing. We always want more. I mean, is it a funny thing that we always want more from Facebook? Can Isn't I, that, can is I that jump funny? in? <laughs> Possibly. Can I, can I jump in though? Because they're because the you know Please you do. touched obviously on on media literacy, and I think you know it's kind of a term that's been bandied around a lot at the moment, and people aren't necessarily engaged with what it is. I think one of the really, really sort of leveling, democratizing things about media literacy is it puts the power into the individual's hands. It doesn't tell you to read one news site or watch one TV show over another. It doesn't tell you to stay away from social media. It doesn't tell you to think Steve Bannon is evil or Sky News After Dark is a hotbed of common sense. <laughs> it simply tells you to think about the information you can So it's consume. neither the ABC or the Australian. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it encourages you to think about, think about where it comes from, mm. how it was produced, and why it was produced. I, to- I totally agree. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's what's come through in your report as well. Like Absolutely. The, the, the people in in Sydney and Tamworth have recommended that, you know, they go behind the story, mm-hmm. that uh, publications clearly label mm-hmm. um, the, the story as well, which is a transparency thing. Is it opinion? Is it fact? Um, and way, I couldn't agree more. It's it's all about critical thinking. Uh, just in defence of journalism here, that is literally what journalists have been doing for, for a long, last, long, long time. For but a yeah, really long time. I know we, we been, maybe we lost been, that message somewhere. But we'll get, that's another whole new show. <laughs> uh, let me just get back to Sasha, and then we're going to go to our final, slightly more contentious item because we're all agreeing too much in this show, far too much. Um, uh, one of the questions that always comes to mind in terms of media literacy is a bit like eating your veggies, really, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's a, you should do it, but not everyone does it, right? I mean, everyone says, yeah, Absolutely. of course, you should read multiple versions of the story to get you know, so many of the truth, mm. uh, and yet really not many people do that. So what ideas do we have, you know, that may come out of this report or, you know, it's open to everyone on the panel, do we have for actually making media literacy not like eating Broccoli. Well, I don't. I don't think it has to be like. I don't mind broccoli, to be honest. Yeah, I knew you. Look, I had to. I had to. But uh, I look, I, no, no, no. How about kale? In all, in all <coughs> seriousness, uh, you're right. You know, you, you can't ram media literacy down people's throats beyond a certain point. I, I do think it's really important for kids. You know, so kids. Mm. That, but so is getting good is, night's sleep. This so is they a, don't do that either. True. This is a radically. This is a wildly changing environment this media environment i you know i don't think there's ever been anything like this in history the 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 way that you know in media terms there can't have been you know the the digital disruption that's going on is just unprecedented and so it's a really difficult time to work out how am i going to be a news consumer you know this is hard as an adult you know someone uh, you know i worked um as a journalist at the sydney morning herald as well and and i'm a pretty savvy consumer of the news and this is a confusing time for me let alone for kids so um i I do think it's important how do we answer this exactly so so what we need to get to when we do teach is some 
general principles almost and some general practices mm-hmm. that aren't specific. So, you know, you need to address the big topics like privacy and, and you know, what, what should you share and, and is it okay to share? A lot of these questions are ethical questions, yeah, really, absolutely. ultimately. So they tie in, those media literacy questions tie in. So I, I think you're right. It is a bit like broccoli, but, and we can't overdo it but there's a certain amount that's necessary. So just, I'll just, we can't actually put it in the school curriculum. Well, I, yes. I, but I'll just sort of jump on that one, Saffron, because as you know, <laughs> I've spoken to some very senior members of the education authorities uh, across the country, and not only in this one, uh, in the state. But uh, And the point that is often made is teachers, they're up to their armpits, eyeballs in the curriculum already, uh, and as much as we'd love to do some more on media literacy, you know, they're going to blow up if, if, we, if they have to teach this. So how do the kids, and not just the kids, by the way, the adults too, mm. uh, I'm going to ask you and then I'm going to throw it to Andrew. What are you, what, I mean, I know, one answer was crickling news. What's the next one? Uh, how, how do we address media literacy? Yeah. Um, look, I think, I think media literacy is, um, it's a long game. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think um, in the meantime, we, you know, I think the work that Facebook's doing... Uh, we haven't mentioned Google. It's obviously things like YouTube, particularly for younger audiences, mm. uh, having a huge impact on people. I think your report also mentions that, you know, people don't necessarily get their news from from a, a news source. They might get it from a comedy news show, and that's their only source of news for the week, you know. Um, I think that um, in the meantime, people need to think critically. Um, they need to be encouraged to do that. I think... Um, Journalists um, need to be very open about what they do, and I think um, mm. we've journalists all, already all have a platform. Um, mm. I think you know we can we can we should be bringing people along for the ride. We should be explaining to people um, what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, and um, and we should be using the platforms that we have because I think you know the other thing that that we haven't done yet is we haven't shown people why journalism even matters. Mm. I think people take news for granted. It's obviously every, every person is naturally curious normally about what's you know, going on around them and in their community. Mm. Um, but the, the implications good journalism has for a thriving democracy are huge. Yep, okay. Um, that, no, I hear yeah. that. And I, I would say that that is the subject of a forthcoming show because there, I believe there will be a campaign soon on, this very, on that very subject, reminding people that journalism does bloody matter. Andrew, just a, a final point from you on this because I do want to have a couple of minutes to, uh, to uh, throw this rather contentious story out at the end. Okay. Um, tra- I, I think that you, you, if you want to sell it to the Department of Education, I think you probably take it a level higher and say, this is about critical thinking. This is mm. about psychology. Let's talk to our kids about psychology uh, and a little bit of philosophy as well. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at um, Daniel Kahneman, the uh, psychologist economist who talks about biases, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's a really fun way that you can get into this subject and you can play all sorts of interesting um, exercises and tricks with kids to show where they might have biases and where they might not have biases. Well, that's and for a, them that's to... a great idea. Do you think we should just uh, leave the studio and do an MVP on that? 
I think we should build it. Let's build it. Come on, let's not muck around. Let's not just talk about it. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. All right. I've got got half an hour after this. Yeah, you won't need half an hour the way you spoke about that. I'm going to finish off with one subject that has been interesting subject of the week, and and it kind of relates to trust in the media. It certainly does, because it goes to questions of influence of media barons and media owners. So the, the nub of the story is that the ABC and the AFR broke a story that basically said that Kerry Stokes, the owner of Channel 7, and Rupert Murdoch were talking about the the former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, with Kerry Stokes being very much in favour of keeping him and uh, Rupert expressing a desire to kill off Malcolm Turnbull's premiership. I'm not going to go round and round in this because it's, that actually not isn't what we want to talk about per se, but it's rather this influence, this other thing that isn't actually in our trust report, but it's maybe what people think about when they think about the news media. And that is, and this is you know, outside of Murdoch and outside of Stokes in a one, one way and maybe even outside the ABC. It's this concentration of media ownership we have in this country which seems could actually work against trust in news media. What do you think, Sasha? Oh, jeez, I don't know where to... Where to begin? Where to begin with you that got, one. You've got three minutes. <laughs> or less. Andrew, how about... What have you got to say on this? <laughs> Saffron will have a view if you told you. I've got a view on oh, it. Here we go. Over to you, Saffron. You can save them. <laughs> No, look, I think I think um, that um, story, which is is now obviously being questioned, and people are asking about its sources and its developed, yeah, and yeah. other organisations have covered it. Um, I think um, what it does do, though, is it it speaks to a very Australian context of media, which is that we've got a small population, a a small number of media players who are always who are very very territorial about their audience share. Um, and and I think that isn't good for Australia. Um, I think the fact that we're seeing some some diversity um, um, come in, even from places like Guardian Australia, which has mm-hmm. you know yep. quite different ways of doing things. I think the fact that it took the New York Times to notice that our Prime Minister had a trophy of stop the boats in his office, mm. it says a lot about the Australian media. And I think it's um, you know. Obviously, I think that it's better to have more, and I also think that it comes back to um, this this feeling that people have of not feeling represented by those established um, centres of power, by the politicians, by the major media organisations, um, and therefore not feeling connected anymore. Okay, well, I'm very mindful that Sasha has to run away and go to another much less important show. I think it's called The Bum, was it? Or what's it called? Uh, uh, anyway. It rhymes with that. Uh, yeah, something that rhymes with bum. Uh, I can say bum because it's community radio. Um, <laughs> it, it, uh, but just on that, just quickly, uh, would if does it follow that if we had more diversity, more plurality, we would have more trust in news media? Possibly a yes or no answer, Sasha? Look, when I say I, I don't know where the, to begin, I agree with Saffron. There's There are some signs that we, we have increasing diversity in a way you know we really have a lot of media we can access people um this came through in our report as well people can access so much news and so much of it for free and the statistics now are that um unfortunately still only 20 percent um of people in australia pay for their online news in any way so you know a lot of that is being consumed for free so look there is a great diversity on the one hand on the other hand there's this pressure on a lot of news producers so a lot of closing down and we're seeing movements in the market nine and fairfax is that good or bad it's it's hard to know without um spending okay. a bit of time with it so that's a maybe i think I, I, i'm interested that as a yeah, maybe that's, yeah that's that's a definite you're an academic maybe. now or something. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. Andrew, fine, but this could be the last word from you yes or no do you think 
I'd like to see the data. I would like to see a correlation yeah. or whether there is a correlation between concentration of ownership and trust. And so if we can put those two things together, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a definitive answer. My gut feel based on, um, you know, on your report and on the general, um, uh, I guess, erosion of trust over time yes. caused in part by digitalization and, and peer-to-peer and all of that sort of thing. Yes. Um, would indicate, and the fact that people in your report say they don't want the media to be a friend, mm. might indicate that it probably doesn't correlate. Mm. Mm. Well, we better get working at the Centre for Media Transition on that very report, <laughs> and also our new MVP, which is uh, coming to schools in about six months' time, thanks to Facebook. Um, <laughs> On a a more serious note, I think thank you all for being a wonderful panel. This is it from the Fourth Estate tonight. I would like to thank my my guests, Andrew Hunter from Facebook. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Sasha Molotovs from the Centre for Media Transition. Thank you, Sash. Thanks, Peter. And on the line from the Blue Mountains, the co-founder of Crinkling News, uh, bring it back, Saffron Howden. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to The Fourth Estate on your favorite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics, and a few things in between at your leisure. And we'll be back with more next week. Uh, But in the meantime, you can stay uh, in touch with us, of course, on Facebook uh, and Twitter, and where our handle is Fourth Estate AU. And my name is Peter Frey. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my producer. And always think of it this way. It's there's always a journalist who you can trust. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.